Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to John chapter 7. We'll look at verses 25 through 39 this morning. The text is printed in the bulletin for you also. John 7, 25 to 39. Um, There's a Christian philosopher named Alvin Plantinga. Um, Good philosopher, good books. Um, He he is actually pretty influential. He um, uh, recently won the Templeton Prize for his contributions affirming the value of spirituality in the area of philosophy. I guess the Templeton Prize is something that uh, is given out to um, people who bring the idea of God back into their into their world in various ways. And he's brought the idea of God, value of spirituality, into the area of philosophy in a pretty influential way um, in today's society. And I read this quote about why Alvin Plantinga um, received the prize that he did. And here's the quote. It says, Alvin Plantinga recognized that not only did religious belief not conflict with serious philosophical work, but that it could make crucial contributions to addressing perennial problems in philosophy. And I had to laugh. Philosophy means love of wisdom. Philosophy means love of wisdom, and there is no true wisdom apart from Jesus Christ. So, of course, faith doesn't conflict with serious philosophical work. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to do serious philosophical work, real, the work of, of loving wisdom and gaining wisdom. Of course, faith helps with addressing perennial problems in philosophy, in thought, because faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to true wisdom. So any version of philosophy, any version of wisdom that distances itself from Jesus Christ, that divorces itself from faith in Jesus Christ, is counterfeit philosophy and counterfeit wisdom, ultimately. What does the world think wisdom is? What would the philosophers say wisdom is? But the world in general, all people everywhere. How do we, sort of our natural, our our standard operating um, thought or paradigm for what wisdom is. When you get down to it, it's what you need to get ahead in life. In whatever way you think, right? Whether that's just knowing how the world works so that you can kind of feel good about understanding the way the world works or whether it's street smarts or business acumen or business savvy, knowing what the right thing to do is in order to be a good person or maybe the, the kind of thing that you pass on to, the, to your children so that they will become successful, right? Those are, those are all sort of facets of the way wisdom is understood by the world. But true wisdom, according to the scriptures, true wisdom is going to Jesus Christ for life with God for every aspect of life, lived with God, life done with God. True wisdom, biblical wisdom, wisdom according to the scriptures, is going to Jesus Christ for life with God. It isn't knowing how to get what I want from the world. It's learning from Jesus how to love, how to share Christ, and actually how to give myself to others. It's more about relating to God in everything that I do. Being able to do that, explicitly and consciously. Relating to God in everything I do, it's more about that than it is abstractly doing the right thing, whatever that means. Jesus Christ is the center. He's the hub of the universe, like a great 
wheel with spokes at all. I mean, they all kind of stick together. This wheel holds together because they're connected at the hub, right? He is the hub. Wisdom sees him that way and goes to him as such, rather than trying to keep the wheel of life rolling, even though all the spokes are disconnected from the center. So this morning, we're going to talk about wisdom. We're picking up where we left off last week with Jesus saying, judge with right judgment. And we're heading further into the theme of wisdom as Jesus addresses it in John chapter 7. So, um, so let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we have to thank you that you have given us your word, that you've not left us in the dark, that you have um, granted us the wisdom necessary to live life with you that uh, especially you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to reveal yourself to us for a relationship with you. And so we turn to Christ now as we turn to your word, and we pray that you would help us. Send your Holy Spirit so that we would find true wisdom as we consider your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said, Isn't this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me? And you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You'll seek me and you'll not find me? And where I am, where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is, he said, about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So there's a lot in here that we're not going to touch on, we're not going to talk about every single thing that we've read about in our passage, but um, this is the Feast of Booths. This is the middle of the feast and the end of the feast that John chapter 7 recounts Jesus as attending and teaching in. Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem and begun teaching in the temple, and he's, he's told, as we looked at last week, the text before this, he, he has told people that they can't, they can't judge him rightly. They can't understand him. They can't even really hear what he has to say and listen to what he has to say. They cannot understand him until they've first submitted to God in relationship with him and believed 
in him, right? So Jesus teaches that faith precedes understanding. Faith precedes wisdom. And uh, we looked a little bit at the idea that the Proverbs hold forth for us and other places in the Scriptures too, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't have wisdom if you don't have a relationship with God, if you haven't submitted yourself to Him in fear and reverence and faith. People didn't like that. People still don't like that idea. They didn't like what Jesus had to say, but He continued with the theme. And now now we're, we're considering wisdom. The word wisdom isn't used in our passage, but that really is what it's about. Let me explain that. Um, in, in the last part of our passage uh, this morning, it's the last day of the feast. It's the great day of the feast. And on that day, historically, traditionally, during this feast of tabernacles or feast of booths uh, that Jesus is present at, <clears throat> on that day there was a great procession where water uh, water was carried up from one of the pools Uh, sort of below the temple. It was carried up into the temple and poured out. Water was poured out there in a a symbolic sort of acting out of the apocalyptic vision that that Ezekiel had that's recorded for us in Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47 basically says that in the last days, in the last days, God would restore the temple... He would make his glory return to the temple and dwell there. And that language is referring to the Holy Spirit. God would make his Holy Spirit dwell in the temple that he has restored, that he has rebuilt. And so there would come from the temple, because God's glory dwelt there, because the Spirit dwells in the temple, there would come from the temple water, just a trickle of water at first. But it would grow into a stream which would grow into a mighty river, the river of life flowing out to the nations, bringing healing and life wherever it goes. And it starts in the temple where God's glory dwells, where his spirit is. So with this vision, I mean, that's the vision that um, actually a lot of the prophets have a vision that's related to the Feast of Booths, related to the temple, the spirit returning to the temple, and the river of life. That vision is in their minds as they're carrying in this procession this, the, the water up into the temple to pour it out there, maybe, maybe hoping that one of these days that trickle that they just poured out would become the stream, right? I think they, they understood that there was some symbolism there about the last days and God's restoration. So with that vision in, in the minds of the festival celebrants, Jesus stands up and notice the language. It says that he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John offers the commentary in verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So Jesus is saying that if you come to him, If you drink of him and if you trust in him, that's what it means to believe, to trust in him relationally, to rely upon him and depend upon him. If you come and drink and trust, then your heart becomes the temple from which the river of life flows. That is, if the Spirit of God fills you, if God meets with you and abides with you, 
then he does that in such a way that true life will flow from you out to the nations. That's the picture that we're getting here. That is to say, your life and your relationship with God in Jesus Christ becomes a conduit for others to come to life and relationship with God in Jesus Christ. Another way to say it is if you go to Jesus and you drink from him and trust in him, then you will have wisdom. You'll have wisdom for life with God that will overflow to bless others with the same wisdom. You'll, you'll start seeing what difference Jesus makes in your life. And you'll start seeing where others need to come to him and how, others, how the gospel can change their lives too as they come to Jesus and drink of him and trust in him. And the reason why we're talking in terms of wisdom this morning, even though that word doesn't show up in our passage, is because Jesus Christ quotes wisdom literature. As it, as it says, he says, the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's quoting from Proverbs 18. Proverbs is one of the wisdom literature books of the Old Testament. And this is what Proverbs 18.4 says. This is what Jesus is uh, sort of loosely quoting as he says what he says in the temple on the great day. It says that the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. So Jesus equates the spirit who's within us with the fountain of wisdom who is the, he's the bubbling brook and he's the one who makes our words deep waters and gives us real wisdom. And also there are a lot of parallels here. Hopefully you noticed, if you were paying attention, a lot of parallels between the way Jesus is acting and teaching and revealing himself here and the way that wisdom is personified in the book of Proverbs, like like Sam read from in our Old Testament reading, is one of these big parts. Proverbs 1 through 9, sort of the first major part of the book of Proverbs, and wisdom is portrayed there as a, as a lover. Wisdom is portrayed there as someone who calls you and pleads with you to enter into an intimate relationship. Wisdom is personified here in Proverbs 1 through 9. It's kind of strange. People scratch their heads. What does this mean? Wisdom being personified like this. Seeking wisdom, possessing wisdom. The Proverbs hold it forth. That, that idea of seeking and possessing wisdom, it's like seeking and being intimate with a lover. It's a, it's a, a relational matter. More than it is strictly an intellectual one. It engages not just your mind. It engages your whole heart and your spirit this seeking wisdom and this possessing wisdom. Solomon, who wrote that section, he's the, the son of David who teaches wisdom. <clears throat> Solomon tells the one who would seek wisdom in the middle of this, this personification of wisdom, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Have a relationship with God. That's where wisdom is going to come from. Solomon says, wisdom personified cries aloud. She stands in the streets. She cries aloud to those who lack wisdom to come to her. She, she takes her stand, it says in Proverbs 8, and she cries out, come to me. And it says in Proverbs 8, 
uh, <clears throat> wisdom personified is speaking and says that the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old, ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. So before creation, before anything else was created, there was wisdom. And wisdom continues, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. So the Trinitarian sees um, the Logos, the Word of God, who was with God in the beginning and even before the beginning, right? This is, this is a language that we can apply to the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. Proverbs 8 continues and says, Whoever finds me, again, this is uh, wisdom personified, still speaking, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And Jesus said things like that when he said, I am the life. And you don't come into a relationship with God except through me. Proverbs 9, wisdom says, whoever is simple... Let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. It isn't the wise that wisdom is calling to herself. It's fools who don't want to be fools anymore, right? It isn't the wise who Jesus calls to himself who come to Jesus as if to say, now, if you're really smart, if you really knew how things worked, if you really had things together, if you really knew what was good for you, if you were wise, you would come to Jesus. No, it's the foolish who turn to Christ to find wisdom, to find the wisdom that we didn't have before, to find life with God that we didn't have before. It's the thirsty who come to him for a drink and find their, their thirst slaked. <clears throat> and uh, James chapter 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it'll be given to him. So Jesus alone knows God. That's what he's talking about in our passage. He says, yeah, you kind of know where I come from, right? There's this, it's, it's a little bit vague, the language that people say, we all know where this guy comes from, so he can't be the Christ. He says, yeah, yeah, you, you think you know. You kind of know where I come from, but really I come from God and him you don't know. I know him and I'm trying to introduce you to him, <laughs> right? If you would come to me. Jesus alone knows God, and Jesus reveals God to those who come to him. And more than revealing, he gives God. He gives God to those who come to him. He gives the Holy Spirit. It says in Proverbs 1, which uh, again Sam read this morning, wisdom is saying this, we can hear Jesus Christ saying this, if you turn at my reproof, which is if you lack wisdom and you want a relationship with God, come to me, come to me. If you, if you turn at my reproof, Behold, I'll pour out my spirit to you. I'll make my words known to you. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you my spirit, and I'll give you wisdom. 
Jesus Christ is called the wisdom of God. He's called that. And he gives us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Job chapter 32, Elihu, the prophet, says, It is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. Just because you've lived a long time and have a, a gray head, it doesn't mean you have wisdom. If you have the spirit, the spirit inside of a person is what makes him wise. You become wise when you go to Jesus Christ to receive the water of life from him, which is the Holy Spirit of God. That's when you become wise. Not just street smarts, not just business savvy, not just figuring out how the world works so you can manipulate it to your own ends. It's when you go to Jesus Christ and receive from him the Spirit of God. If you don't seek Christ for life with God, you'll not have wisdom. Again, the Proverbs, he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me, they love death. Because I've called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and, and no one's heeded, because you've ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore They shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices, for the simple are killed by their turning away. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. But he also said to those who were not doing that, you will seek me and you will not find me. And the people refuse to come to him. They go on and on about Jesus. That's so much of our passage is this. Jesus says something, and then all the people turn aside and start talking to one another. What does that mean? What does that mean? Right? What's he on about? I don't know. Where's he come from? What's he saying? They go on and on about Jesus with each other. They don't come to him and ask their questions. They don't come to Jesus. So he says, one day soon, it's going to be too late for you to find answers to your questions. It's going to be too late for you to find real wisdom because I'm not going to be here anymore. As long as you're only talking with the crowd about Jesus, and this applies not just to them in this passage back then 2,000 years ago, this applies to us and everyone now. As long as you're only talking with the crowd about Jesus, who is this guy? What does he think he's on about? and not actually coming to Jesus for life with God, you will not have the Spirit, and you will not have true wisdom. I know them's fighting words. I know that. But the Scriptures make it clear that the wise perceive spiritual things because they are spiritual, because they've been made spiritual by the Spirit who's given to them. They've received the Spirit of Christ. And therefore, they've received the mind of Christ. And that's why they're wise. And it says in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul goes on about this for a while. He says, 
Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. It looks like idiocy. It looks like foolishness. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. If we've come to Christ and, and been thirsty and asked for drink and received water and received the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. So what is the true wisdom that we receive through the Spirit. It isn't just about having a lot of information. It isn't just about knowledge. It isn't just about uh, being really smart, being really intelligent. It's not about having, having gotten a, light of, a, a lot of life experience under your belt or the ability to anticipate and manipulate others toward a desirable outcome. It's not about those things, not just about those things. They might have little elements, little facets of what real spiritual wisdom is, but it's not about those things. It isn't, ultimately, wisdom isn't passing the class Applied Selfishness 701, right? Like, really advanced ways to manipulate the world to your own ends with your mind. That's not what real wisdom is. John Calvin, in the the very first words of the Institutes, pretty famous book, um, says uh, that nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. And that's why we get wisdom when we come to Jesus Christ for life. That's why real wisdom is found in Jesus alone, because he makes us to know God, and he makes us to know ourselves and the relationship between the two for every part of life, everything in life. Wisdom is what happens when your vision of everything is shaped by the gospel and is shaped by prayer through a relationship with God. And when that happens, life ceases to be about managing the world, understanding and managing in order to get for myself, and life becomes about how to give yourself in the love of Christ, having rivers of living water flowing out of your heart where the Spirit is, where God meets with you, where God lives in you. Wisdom is going to Jesus Christ for life with God, all of life in a way that makes you good for others, makes you good for the world, especially through sharing that life with God, sharing Jesus Christ himself. If you start sharing real wisdom, true wisdom with others, ideas about how to live, um, that, that's not true wisdom. You're not directing them explicitly and consciously to Jesus Christ for life. You're not really passing on true wisdom. But, but if you're passing on true wisdom, I mean, the very first thing true wisdom makes you is courageous to be able to do so, courageous to talk about Jesus with other people and say, I can see some areas in your life where you need to go to Christ and I'm going to talk about that because I think it'll be good for you, right? True wisdom gives you courage 
You won't be afraid of other people because you fear the Lord more. True wisdom can see the cosmic scope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How this this changes everything in the whole universe and every aspect of every relationship of every person ever. The gospel changes all of it. And the wise begin to see that. The wise can see God's resurrection power at work in the world, even though when you look just with these eyes, all you see is pretty bleak circumstances and hopelessness and meaninglessness. True wisdom can see resurrection power at work everywhere, because that's God's kind of power. True wisdom can, can joyfully sing of redeeming love, even in a broken world, can see comedy where others see only tragedy, can, can judge between good and evil, declare things to be good and evil, what they really are, in, in what they really are, and turn away from evil. The wise can do that. <clears throat> the wise can learn to see everything in life as having to do with our relationship to God. They can, we can re- receive our lives, even our very selves, as the gift of God with gratitude instead of rejecting the circumstances of our lives and rejecting our very selves. We can receive that from God. We can see how to apply the gospel and respond to God with our own self-gift, to live like him, to live for him in the world by giving ourselves to others. We can see how to start to do those things. We can, we can know that we're not alone, despite appearances to the contrary. We can know we're not alone, that Christ in his grace will never leave us or forsake us. We can know that God loves us and is with us as our Father. The wise can know that the communion of the Holy Spirit is with us always. Even if it just doesn't seem that way, or feel that way, or appear that way. And especially in this passage, the wise can see what the fools did not. It's most of the people here that Jesus is interacting with, is fools who refuse to go to him for wisdom. And we can start to see what they didn't. They were confused about what Jesus meant when he said, you will seek me and you will not find me. And they said to one another, what's he talking about when he says, you'll, you'll seek me but you'll not find me. Does he, does he intend to go out to the dispersion among the Greeks? Is he going to leave Jerusalem and Judea and go to the ends of the earth to teach people there? Is that what Jesus is going to do? Is that how he's, he's going to get away from us? Does he mean he's going to teach the nations and make disciples out of them? The wise reader who has come to Jesus Christ with faith, the wise reader knows Christ recognizes uh, the irony in their words. In fact, Jesus would go out to teach the Greeks. He would go from Jerusalem to Judea to all the ends of the earth and make them his disciples too. He would do that, but not Jesus per se, Not, not Jesus in and of himself. It would be those who came to him who would do that. It would be those who drank freely of him who would do that and go there, who believed in him and so received his spirit, those who believed in him and received his spirit, as John says, and his wisdom, who would be the restored temple, the place where God meets with humanity on the earth, from whom would flow the rivers of living water to the nations to bring others life with God and introduce them to Jesus. So the application of our wisdom here especially means 
carrying the gospel into the world, out into the world, introducing others to Jesus and guiding them to Jesus. You're thirsty, you need to go to him for a drink. Others need to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They need to know forgiveness. They need to know reconciliation through his sacrifice. They need to know, this is all aspects of biblical wisdom, they need to know what their sin really is. And on the other hand, they need to know what the free gift of communion really means. They need to consider, others need to consider prayerfully how the gospel intersects with their lives in their their families and in their workplaces and in their neighborhoods and in all of their relationships in every part of their lives. They They need to learn from Christ how to walk in wisdom in all things, how to walk with God rather than walking apart from him. Others need true wisdom. Others need to come to Jesus for themselves and grow as his disciples in their wisdom, gaining wisdom and the ability to minister to the gospel to yet others. Others who haven't yet heard the gospel, they need to grow in the gospel and be able to transmit it, to be conduits of it. If you come to Christ thirsty to drink by faith of who he is, it's not just a river that flows from your heart. It's rivers. It's river after river cascading outward through the hearts of all those in successive generations who are thirsty and go to Christ for a drink. And participating in that mission, that's, that's true wisdom, that's biblical wisdom. So go to Christ for that. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us to see what it is that Jesus is going on about here. Uh, Help us to come to Jesus with our questions. Help us to go to Jesus for, for answers about life. Help us especially to see that the most meaningful, most important parts of life are found explicitly and quite clearly in Jesus Christ as we enter into a relationship with you through faith in him. We pray that you would continue to grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that you would help us to go to greater depths in our understanding of your love for us as seen clearly in Christ, your glory as seen clearly in Christ. We pray that you would help us to walk with you as we walk with Christ in every aspect of our lives and not to walk apart from you because that is true folly and that is death. We pray that you would grant us wisdom and life in relationship with Christ uh, in increasing ways as we um, go forward into the world, carrying the water of life with us for the good of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.